If we were to take a few minutes, I'm sure that we could all come to words that we overuse. We use them to describe far too many things. And because we use them to describe far too many things, they don't really describe anything. Think through some of these words with me. One of those is the word love. We use the word love to talk about everything. Mothers, burritos, dogs. It's a tricky word. There are numerous words I would imagine that you think are overused in your house. Literally, the word literally is overused for far too many things. And if I have any parents of teenagers in the room, they'll give me a sound hearty amen with that. One word that we overuse is the word simple. I really don't think things are that simple all the time. Some things are. I get a grocery list. Chad, on the way home, can you pick these things up? I go into the store and I've got milk. I'm going to pick up milk. I don't need a description of what I should pick up. I know to get organic milk because we're leaning into yuppie at our house. Yeah, there was a point where there may or may not have been a, a raw I know that if we're going to pick up eggs, that's a big deal. And I, I kind of know the eggs to get. I, if I look to the screenshots in my phone, though, or, or the f- photographs in my phone, I have more pictures of things that I've sent to Hope asking, should I buy this, than I have pictures of my children. <laughs> is this it? But when it gets really complicated is when we move into uh, recipes. Jack, can you pick up this stuff? And, and eventually, I, I believe we've moved beyond the pack, the, the part where I pick up recipe ingredients. She's like, I'll just go do it myself because you're terrible at this. Uh, you look and things just aren't simple at all. They don't seem simple. They don't come across as simple. If you're beginning to have conversations with me about ingredients for things, I don't know the difference in vanilla and vanilla extract, but I know that there is one. I know that if I'm picking up Reese's Cups for myself, and I do pick those up because even though I'm a yuppie, I'm not good at it. (laughs) Some things are simple and some things are not. What if when Charlie was baptized, we had numerous friends over at our house. Our life group came over and then the, the families that were, the guys lead the bridge came over. The bridge ministries, our fifth through eighth grade ministry uh, and when, while we're sitting there, I mean, so many people at our house, I, re- I tell people regularly that I am an extrovert until you invite 40 people into my home, and then I'm trying to find a corner to hide in. But while we're there uh, hanging out, we're having a conversation about this series that we've been in for the last couple of months. It's a series going through a look at the life of Moses through the story, really, of Exodus. And the theme has been deliverer and One of our members said, so Exodus every week, right? And I said, well, there is one passage that I don't want us to miss, and it's not in Exodus. It's in the book of Numbers. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open those in Numbers chapter 21. As we look together, at this years. 38 years. I don't use the word wandering because it's not really wandering. They are basically in a 40-year time out because they're behaving like children. Aaron is dead, Mary, uh, and his sister is dead. And, and the people of Israel are, are speaking something about God that is not great. They are 
uh, trash-talking God. Some may say besmirching God, dissing God, bashing God, roasting God. And this is unique in the text because when you read through this in 21, we've not had a place where they talked bad about God necessarily. It's always been bad about God's man, Moses, and the decisions that he's made. But they get really, really bold in the wilderness in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. They, they, they have just won a battle, by the way. Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. Have we ever been there? Are we there yet? But even for those of us who claim to attempt to seek to walk with Jesus. How often is there a heart of impatience because of the journey? The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread except this food. That's what it boils down to. There's nothing to eat here. This is a group of people opening the refrigerator and saying, Wait, there's nothing to eat here except for enough food to feed a small army. There's no food except this food. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Israel and the way that God would work in each and every one of their lives, he would provide manna from heaven, which literally means, what is it? And he would provide it every single day for them. They were not supposed to hoard it or hold on to it because he would provide every day, showing that these people were depending upon God every single day for their food with the exception of the Sabbath. And then for whatever reason, that bread would roll over. It's this sweet bread from heaven. It's the bread that goes with chicken minis. It's a Krispy Kreme donut, not a Shipley's donut. I don't know what donut that is. God's been giving them this every day. And they detest it. There's no bread. There's no water. God had just provided miraculous water for them earlier. Up to this point in Scripture, we've had eight listed complaints of the nation of Israel. And God decides to deal with them, we may say harshly. There's no bread, there's no water, we don't like this food. The Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them, and many Israelites died. When you read the original language, it says that the snakes came in for about seven minutes when a snake rolled up on our front porch. That wasn't expected. So I sent Hope out to deal with it. <laughs> People were like, kill it with a shovel. They mean the flat-headed shovel. I had a pointy one like I was going to sword fight with the doggone thing. 
I dealt with it. The University of Tennessee did some research in 2017, go Vols, focused on, on a couple of species of snakes because snakes, they usually work alone, like in the garden. But there are a couple, the Cuban boa and the Texas indigo snake. These snakes have been observed working in cooperation, hunting in cooperation. I'm not pro solo snake. But when they start working together, it's time to get on out of here. These snakes enhance their ability to capture and subdue large or more challenging prey. There's an image that you found on Twitter before Elon shut down the rates yesterday. And you can only look at so many tweets a day. And the image was snakes hanging from the roof of a cave working together to catch bats. Nope. It's not poisonous. Don't care. When you read this text, you have the nation of Israel, and, and these snakes are pursuing them, biting them, hunting them. It's a pretty tragic situation. Fiery, this is a reference to the, the bite, or the, yeah, I think that's the word. It's you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take away the snakes from us. Moses is a patient man. He intercedes for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Bronze reflection, a symbol of judgment. Whenever someone was bitten, he would look at the bronze snake that was on the pole. And you would recover. What if it really is this simple? Hospitals use this image. I think I've got one to, to show you. Yeah. You, you'll see that at various hospitals. And this is a reflection of what we see in this story of numbers. Look to the snake to recover. To recover. Look there. You, you may think to yourself, that sounds so simple. Let me ask you this. How many people in your life need to go to the doctor and don't go to the doctor? Look to the snake and you'll be made well. But that doesn't make any sense. The doctors don't know anything. They don't know as much as my Google searches do. Look and you'll recover. Can you imagine being the people of Israel who've been wandering in a wilderness and they've been bitten by snakes and they've been arguing with God, but though they weren't really wandering, they were just in trouble. And God is saying to them, look and you'll recover. It's this simple, look and you'll be better. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Moses. It doesn't make any sense. Look and you'll recover. 
Look and you'll recover. Over and over. Just look to the snake. That doesn't mean anything. What do you mean look at the snake? Can you imagine being Moses holding this up while you're waiting for these hard-headed, stiff-necked people to look to the snake so they would recover so you could keep going forward? Look. You'll get better. Some of us think this is a form of ancient magic that... There are all types of of what the snake is or because it is made of bronze or because even that Moses is hanging it up or holding it up. This solution only works because the power of God is present there to look and you'll get better. There, the, the, when we look to the book of Exodus and really the whole story of Moses in the Old Testament, when we're looking at this, the Pentateuch, what you find is there's this great picture of the messianic nature of Jesus and it is portrayed for us in the person of Moses the one who would deliver the people of Israel and he would go up and he would come down that's the story but a very a really small reflection the only other one the smallest reflection of the messianic nature that we have shown in the story of the old testament that points to the person of Jesus can be summed up in three words look and live God is having the Israel brought upon us. And only you can deliver us from it. So when they would look at the snake, oh, that's a snake and these snakes have been biting us and that's bad. I've got to look at this judgment and I'll live. John chapter 3, Jesus tells the story. He's with Nicodemus. Nicodemus sneaks in to meet with him at night. They're having a conversation on what I imagine to be a rooftop. I don't know why. And as they're having the conversation, Nicodemus is asking Jesus questions. And Jesus says to him, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus, who is old, thinks this is the weirdest thing this man could have ever said to him. You mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb? Quit being weird, Nicodemus. What I'm saying to you is this. Just as who believes in him may have eternal life, look and live. What is the antithesis of that? If you don't look, you die. If you do not acknowledge the judgment that is there for you, death. What does this mean for believing people? Does it mean that we can stop looking? Eternally, no. But how often do we find believers in places when we are not looking to the person of Christ and therefore living in this endless cycle of death? Being satisfied with things that reflect death cause us to think about death, cause our minds to be enamored with death. If you look, you live. If you don't look, you die. That's the story. Carson says this, Jesus uses this event to explain his death on the crunch and in this way. He gave his only son, his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. 
It's moments like this where we convolute a story that is not meant to be convoluted and we make it more difficult than it needs to be. This does not mean that we neglect or overlook the stresses and the trauma and the strategy or the the anxiety that people face. But there is something to be found for us in the person of Jesus that cannot be found anywhere else. There is hope, there is life, there is hope for the unbeliever in the person of Jesus. Look to the judgment that that you deserve and realize that it has been placed there and you will live. If you do not look there, you will die. And it's for every believer in this space. Look and live and when you're looking for answers in other places, you're going to find death over and over and over. God loved the world in this way. And sometimes because our lives have been difficult, we can miss the simplicity of the message of the good news of Jesus. Some of us are saying, there's no way that that God can love me. There's no way that God can love me. I've done really dumb stuff. Paul would say, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not boast. It's not arrogant, it's not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I get that. Those things off. He can't love me because I, I cheated on my husband or I cheated on my wife. And we see in the scripture, Jesus bears All things. Look to him and live. I struggle with substance abuse and I've tried and I've tried to get clean and I can't get clean. Jesus is patient. Look to him and live. But, you know, I understand the way that that church people and you pastors, I know the way that you see abortion And I don't know if a God can love me if that's what you're saying about me. Jesus endures all things. Look to him and live. Jesus is patient. Look to him and live. Jesus is kind. Look to him and live. Jesus does not envy and Jesus does not boast. Look to him and live. Jesus is not arrogant. Jesus is not rude. Look to him and live. Jesus is not pushy. Look to him and live. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Sacrificially, God loves holy. Look to him and live. And none of us, no matter how much we know, are going to mature as believers. Like this is for believing people. There is not a believer in this room who will mature. If you are not immersing yourself in God's deep love for you. Because there is not one of us who has outgrown. Jesus loved me, this I know For the Bible tells me so. Expose yourself to the rich warmth of the love of God shown to you in Jesus. Look to him and live. But make sure that when you're looking to him, you don't miss him. Because that happens. That 700 years pass. We don't hear a reference to it in the book of, in the Bible. Until you get to 2 Kings chapter 18. 
In the third year of Israel's king Hosea, son of Elah, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became the king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places. Just a quick overview for you. The high places are references to Baal worship, pagan worship, worship of a false god. He shattered the sacred pillars. Again, another reference to a false god, a false... So you have all of these things that we look at and we would say that, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, 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 bad. Unacceptable for God's people. He then broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For until then, the Israelites were burning incense to it. It was called the Nehushtan. The snake's not been mentioned for 700 years, but it's been preserved. And it it was used, though it was used by the Lord, now it is being used in place of the Lord. Those things can be present for us. The things that God provides for us that will eventually be used by the enemy to lie to us. Let's be transparent. Lots of the time we don't need an enemy to lie to us because we're doing a good enough job of it ourselves. Well, what are those things? If we are looking to anything to live apart from Christ, taking our judgment, it could be that. I don't know what your stuff is. It could be our popularity, how well liked we are, We may be finding security in how much we have in our savings account. It may be a skill set that we have. All of these things that God uses to show you who he is. Somehow in a world where our sins are wicked, we, we move away from that. The community that he provides... If we're looking to that and not to him, then it is something that we are misusing and abusing. If it's the job that he uses to provide for us, and we're missing him, then we are abusing what God intends to use. God shows us, the idea of sacrifice and love through our snake. Our children? Don't talk about my kids. If we're really being as upfront as possible, 
There is nothing in our lives that sit in the place of God more than the little gods that we've created. God has provided those people for you. But if you are looking to them to find your understanding of what it means to live, then you're missing it. Look beyond. Look to Him and live. The Scriptures for us are showing us that God wants us to look to nothing else but Jesus. Because life is found there. The most concrete understanding of the way that we can understand God, God's deep love for us, is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Look to Him and live. So every week we take communion and... and you know, Jared and I have had numerous conversations about it. We, we believe in the importance of aligning ourselves as much as we possibly can with what the Scriptures teach, that when we gather together, we take communion. And we've had conversations with some of you guys about that, and I'm grateful that we're able to chat about that. But for us as believers, would we look to Jesus and live today? Before you come get your... your Juice, and you get your wafer to take communion. If you are a believer in this space, would you physically take a moment and posture yourself to your hand? You have a symbolic reflection of the judgment of God that you deserve, but Jesus took that in your place. Will we look to Him and live? And if you're not a believer, you know, I just ask for you not to take of the table. I. We believe that this is something that God's family does. The, the people that we are coming around, the fact that we have looked to Christ for life. And if you've not done that, then don't act like you, you do. We, we're not going to be upset with you for holding back. We ask you to. But will we look to Jesus and live this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? This unique text forces me to think about hard things, causes me to need to say difficult things, and I'm assuming that maybe some of those were hard for you to hear today. One, I'm grateful that you're here. If you've never trusted in Jesus, would this be the day where you see that His Jesus took your judgment on the cross so that you could look to him and live. Every one of us deserves to be saved. There's a possibility that for you as a, a person who hears me mention parents and children and jobs, that there may be some conviction for you. 
and the way there is for me when I wrestle with this when you come to get your wafer and you come to get your juice think about it what you're holding and what it represents and don't miss the life that Jesus provides for us as his people. Would you stand?